Amen. We open our hearts to You now. We thank You for the gift of Your precious Word, Lord. Oh, inspired by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to our hearts and lives, Lord. And um, we just ask that through this, You will find in us a people ready to put faith into action, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated, church. We are so blessed to have our founding pastor, Pastor Peter, coming to bring God's Word. Would you give him a big welcome if you're at home and here in the auditorium as well? Let's welcome Peter. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, great. Thanks, church. Thanks for you courageous ones who came out in the middle of the flood waters. It's so nice to actually preach to somebody. You do know that it's a real help. And, and we had to have a dedication service too as well. So uh, just terrific to have those that are here. And those that are online, well, welcome to you as well. Terrific to have you here. And we pray you'll be blessed as you share with us this morning. Well, this morning we are going to reflect on, in the book of James um, in this series that we're in the midst of on one of the most important questions you will ever face in life. Your answer will in fact determine so much about the way you see life, the direction that you will take in life and the tone or the spirit of your life. So here's the question. Are you ready? Are you listening in? You got it? It's a big question. It's one of the big life questions. And here it is. Is God good? Okay, did you get that? Is God good? Many people we know have answered in the negative to that question. The events of these last few, few days even, as another dictator seizes power and seeks to invade another country and all the things that are part and parcel of that, that sort of adds to that idea that there's no God and if there is a God, he allows things like this to take place. It's a familiar argument that people use. It seems that God's not good. That's what they say. If it's not the inhumanity of wars, what about the exploitation and the abuse of the poor throughout the world? Bob Hawke, one of our former prime ministers, wrote this about the time that he abandoned his Christian beliefs. It occurred in 1952, so he was a young person at the time. Happened at a Christian World Youth Conference in India and he said this, there were all these poverty-stricken kids at the gate of this palatial place where we were feeding our faces and I was just struck by this enormous sense of irrelevance of religion to the needs of people. And so Bob's conclusion was that the injustices of this world reveal that God's not good or has abandoned the world if there is a God. And that's the conclusion I know that so many have made in the face of the sufferings of this world, both the world's sufferings in a, big, in a big sense and also the personal sufferings of people's lives. God's not good. The passage that we're going to consider this morning doesn't permit us to um, um, consider or deal with the breadth of Christian understanding concerning the sufferings of our world, but I, I just want to add... If you're looking for answers about that truly satisfy about the sufferings of our world, you will never get a more satisfying intellectual understanding of the sufferings of our world, or personal for that matter, than the Christian faith. And it's one that leaves you with God near to you, rather than absent from your world and absent from our world. But this next, this next section in the book of James, it, it does help in forming a foundation to answer in the affirmative that God is good. 
Even when we find ourselves in places where life seems difficult or hard. Last Sunday, um, Pastor Nathan preached so, so empathetically, actually, that God has powerful purposes in the trials that we face in life. And we are to endure them. And as we do that, they bring strength and they, they bring maturity to our faith and they ready us to receive the crown of life that he's promised to those who love him. So let me pick up where, where Nathan ended last week and then read some verses that follow that. You ready? Here we go. James 1, chapter 12, uh, um, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Wow, what an incredible verse. It then goes on in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. This is God's word to us today, part of God's word to us today. The tests and the trials that we experience in this life, they, they provide opportunities for us to go forward in our faith, to mature in our faith, faith but they also, at the same time, open up um, Opportunities for us to be tempted and for there to be potential for our, our faith to, to go backwards in the midst of the trials. Job, the, the great sufferer in the Old Testament, he illustrates sort of the double edge of tests. The calamities that overtook Job, the, the loss of his livelihood, um, um, family members, their loss, um, the health difficulties that he went through, that, that was his trial. That was a trial he endured. But the temptation in this trial involved Satan's aim to lead Job into cursing God for his difficulties, to declare that God's not worthy of his trust, that God is not good. There's a decision that we make in every trial that we meet in life and it's centred in the belief whether God really is good knows what's best for us and can be trusted come what may or whether we come to the conclusion that God's not fair, he, he doesn't care about me and those I love, that his path is too long, um, too hard, um, too constricting, so I'm enticed and turn away from him to go my own way to, own way to engage in the things that I want to do. One of the reasons that is sometimes used to justify a decision to, to give in to temptation in the place of trial is to actually blame God. He's the one who put us into the situation. He created the circumstances that lead to sin. It, it goes like this. God, God's sovereign. He's over all things. He's the one who's made us like we are. He's the one who has ordained the circumstances of our lives. And so when we fail a test... When we give in to temptation, when we turn away from the truth and what's right, well, what does God expect? What does he expect? You can hear this sort of reasoning in Adam's reply when God confronted him concerning his disobedience in the garden. God said this, um, Genesis 3, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, get this, the woman, you, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. If you need a, maybe a more contemporary um, account of how this looks, let me share with you just um, a short story that was told in one of the commentaries that I read. There was a woman who was in a low place in a marriage and she reached out for help and she found Christ. She was transformed as a person, but sadly her, her husband didn't want to follow suit. Well, after about a year or so, this lady decided to seek some counselling concerning a troubled marriage. And in the midst of the, of the sessions, professional boundaries were crossed, wrongly crossed, and an affair began between her and a counsellor. Disaster followed, as it, as it always does, and in the pain and the hurt, she ended up speaking with the pastor and, he, and his wife, and this was her response to all that had occurred. I asked God to lead me to the right counsellor, and he led me to this man. It's God's fault. He's to blame for what happened. But according to James... This is a place we cannot go in the midst of the temptations that we face, in the lonely places, in the difficult places, in the painful places of our earthly journey. Listen to the, the two reasons that he gives. James 1.13, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Reason one, God can't be tempted by evil. The, the nature of God's divine character is of such unmixed holiness that it's impossible for him to be enticed to do wrong. Evil, evil can't prompt even the slightest appeal in, in God's heart. He detests evil and he sees it clearly for what it is. And as a consequence of this truth, then the second reason is so logical. God doesn't tempt anyone. The purity of who he is means you cannot accuse him of setting out to bring about your downfall. God does not plot the disaster of people. God allows us to be tested, true. But his motivation, his desire, his, his longing is that we will pass the test and we'll grow strong, ever stronger in our faith. Now, let me try and illustrate this truth just a little bit more. When I was a teacher, I had to set tests for the kids. My motivation was never one to say, I want these kids to fail. And then I can say, wow, what a dumb lot they are. Is there any teachers out there um, this morning? That's not your heart, is it? That's not what you set tests for. And it would be wrong and it would be disheartening for a kid to sit a test and if it failed to turn around and blame the, blame the teacher for making him fail. Now, I know maybe a teacher isn't competent. That could be so. And, and, and maybe an exam could be maybe too hard because, you know, teachers aren't perfect. But God is perfect. He is perfect. And we know from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will never let us be tempted beyond that which we are able to bear. So any accusation about God as the one who caused you to sin it does not stand up against the truth about who God is. He cannot be enticed to sin and he never entices anyone to sin. God is good in all that he does. He's, 
He's the good and the perfect teacher. And he's good in all his plans and all his intentions for us. If you want to look for the real source for giving into temptation, we actually need to look closer to home. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Don't think that James has sort of missed the Satan bit. If you go over to chapter 4, verse 7, you'll see where he calls us to resist the devil. But he knows the clear root of the problem is our own sinful hearts. That's what it is. We actually have no one else to blame but ourselves. There's within all of us this, this, this deep well of dominating and, and alluring desires which are so quickly triggered and lead us into sin. The word that's, that James uses here, um, you know, the dragged away and, and enticed words, they're from the, from the language for those who go fishing. My earliest um, fishing experiences were in the waters of the Pummerstone Passage where we used to holiday every Christmas. Anyone ever fished in the Pummerstone Passage? Yeah, yeah, few, yeah, good, okay. My brother and I, um, we spent many, many hours out on the Pummerstone Passage in our three-person canoe. No life jackets back then, you know that. No one thought about those. My parents, um, they didn't wait nervously on the shore looking at everything in case we drowned or anything like that. Mum and Dad couldn't swim, so there was no help to, to have helped us anyway. Now, one of our canoe activities, it was fishing. My brother, who's four years older than me, he was in charge, as he always was when I was growing up. <laughs> And so he delegated, you know, as the captain of the ship, for me to be the anchor. That was my responsibility so that, you know, we could stay in a place where we were getting some nibbles and bites and we'd be able to stay there and do our fishing. Now, if you wonder how you anchor yourself in a three-person canoe, well, what we did is we carried a really large rock that was, had the rope sort of lashed around it and one end was tied to the rock and then the other, other end of the, the rope was actually tied around me. I was fairly, you know, um, solid as a kid. So they used to tie, he, he was the captain, he'd tie it around my waist. And um, we'd go out and we'd find our spot and then whoop, off goes the rock over the side. And, and then it would anchor us, you know, against me. I'd be sitting there hold, holding the boat while the rock was down at the bottom of, it was a great anchor. It was terrific. Whilst my mum couldn't swim, she was obviously a very good prayer because I'm, I'm here telling you about my fishing adventures in the Pummerstone Passage and that I did not drown down there. We've all got more miracle stories than you realise. You know that, don't you? Yeah. Um, we're here by the grace of God. I'm here by the grace of God. Now, let me get back to the fishing. That's where I really want to go to. When we used to drop our hand lines in over the side and, and we'd slowly reel them in, what we were trying to do was entice a fish out of the safety of a hole in the Pummerstone Passage or around a pylon or some rocks. It would see our bait. Usually sandworms is what we used to use and, and then often try a few little nibbles, you know, how the fishing thing goes. And then that exciting mo moment, you know, for any person who goes fishing when the bait's taken. And that night, thanks again to mum. She was a, she was a lovely mum. She really was. We'd be eating pan-fried whiting and brim. Beautiful now the Bible has many positive pictures about fishing it does Jesus used some fish to feed 5,000 people that's pretty positive he called his disciples to be what? fishers of men and women but here 
James is using fishing language to highlight how dangerous it is when in the place of trials, we are dragged away from the safe place of trusting in a good God. And then we put ourselves where we can so easily be chasing the prospect of something that resonates actually with the desires of our sin-prone hearts. Let me remind you for a moment about some of the trials that we can meet in our broken world. A strained marriage, an injustice in the workplace, no one to share life's journey with, a future that's not what we had in mind, the loss of a child, a loss of a partner, a, a, a parent. And in those painful places, we can be prone to, to move away from the, from the safety of God's loving care because he's not as good as we thought he should have been. The truth about God's way of navigating the trials, to, to love even when we are not loved, to, to forgive and, and bless those who, who wrong us, to, to wait trusting for, for his provision, his timing, his vindication, to, to take our, our sorrows and tears to him. Well, well, those actions and those attitudes, you see, they seem too hard, too weak, um, too long, too, too inadequate. And so we, we move ourselves into the vulnerable waters where the lures of darkness can seem so appealing. Quit the marriage. Plot your revenge. Take, take matters into your own hands. Pass judgment in your heart. Indulge your sinful desires. Stop praying to a loving father. And so what happens is God goes off the radar our trust in him dims. We, we distance ourselves from his truths, his voice. We justify our choices and then we indulge our sinful desires. That's a path, of course, that has devastating consequences, always does. This is what James says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's an inevitability about where this will all end, as there is in pregnancy. When you entertain the desires which give birth to sin, you are setting in motion a process which will inevitably lead towards disintegration and death. Now James, James wants to make crystal clear the deceptiveness of the lie that, that God's responsible for the tempting. He, he's responsible in some way or other for plotting our downfall in some way. And the parallel logic that goes with that, that God is not good. Because if you allow that thought to lodge in your thinking, then it will undermine your love and trust in God. You know, how can you walk closely with God if you're not sure about his goodness? It cripples faith. It, it, it leads to coldness and disbelief. Is it any wonder that James states so clearly the command in verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
It's not God who tempts us, who wrongs us. That's impossible for a holy God. Look at Jesus' life. If you wanna see what God looks like and you wanna get it really tangible, well, just read the Gospels. Who did Jesus wrong on planet Earth? There is no one that Jesus wronged. And He reflects the Father's heart. He is God in flesh on planet Earth. Do not let Satan sell you the line that God has wronged you, let you down, doesn't care about you. Don't let yourself be dragged away from God's protection and care. And don't be, received, don't be deceived about who's responsible for our evil desires. It's in us and us alone. And the sin that it births has, has devastating and deadly consequences. If you are contemplating, even in a small way, that God is anything other than good, then the Holy Spirit this morning is wanting you to hear, however hard your trial may be, however difficult may be for you, God is totally, totally, totally trustworthy. I know that's for some this morning. Some of those are online. I know this is for some this morning. Now up to this point, James has been pointing that any accusations about temptations towards God in the place of testing is wrong. It's sort of been coming from the negative perspective. You've got a wrong view there. That's, that's, not, that's not God. But in the final two verses in this section of James, he points out from the positive side just how good God is. Good in character, so good to us. So let me read the first of those two verses. It says this in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I've just read that verse. It can just sort of pass by so quickly, but do you know how wonderful that verse is? The, the, the depth and the strength of what James is writing here, this truth about God. This verse is bringing the highest commendation about how good God is. The phrase, every good and perfect gift is from above, is asserting that all, all goodness comes from God. And the supply of that goodness from the Father is inexhaustible. God gives everything that could ever be needed. He holds nothing back. All that He gives is good and it matches perfectly the needs. So God's giving is totally and completely good, nothing evil comes from him. It can't be. He's full of goodness and goodness only. But there's more. God's described here as the father of the heavenly lights. What's that mean? Well, God put the sun and the moon and the stars in place and um, it, it's made perfect. It's just brilliance. And he pronounced it good and he created them. The heavens reveal the glory of God. Wow, wow. It's a description of God. That, that points to his brightness, his, his, the light that he is, his moral goodness. L listen, Apostle John, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. There it is again, the same truth we're hearing this morning again and again. There is only goodness in God. There is no evil in God, no capacity to do wrong or a desire to do what's wrong. He is wholly pure, he is he's clear, he, he's luminous in his goodness. But the lights too, in this verse, as you read it, that 
they also reveal his character by way of contrast. Because the lights in the sky are not always in the same place. And they don't always shine with the same intensity. God, however, is different. The father of the heavenly lights does not change like shifting shadows. He, he never changes his position. He never alters the commitment or the intensity of his goodness. It would be impossible to come to God in our need and find him unwilling or, or unable or unavailable to help in a time of need. We find this, this same unrelenting goodness of God in verse five of this, of this chapter. Let me read that verse to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, God's very nature is one of giving. So if you pray asking for God's wisdom with a humble and trusting heart, then he can't help but give you wisdom. Did you know that? He can't help but that he can't help it. He's the good teacher, he's the good parent. The word for his generosity, his his unrestricted giving, is so strong that it's as though we are his exclusive preoccupation. As if God had nothing else to do but to give to us and to give again to us. You're hearing how good how God is. If I could only tell you the stories of God's generosity to us as a church over the last 30 years, we would be here for a long, long time. Maybe we'll hear some of those in this year. Maybe we will, somewhere later in the year. Maybe we will. The wisdom that he has given to us when we did not know what to do. There have been times in history, that's, that's what it's been. We've come to him in prayer. When problems and difficulties have arisen, how, how he has made a way again and again and again. It's amazing, truly it's amazing. He's incredible. And God's wisdom is here for every single one of us this morning. Whatever we are facing in life, he's, he's so willing and he's, and he's so ready to give it. He is such a good, good God. Good, good God. But James has got one further example of God's goodness and, and what an example it is. James 1.18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. As we saw before, there's an enormous problem we all experience because we've, we've got a heart that resonates with evil and um, desires that lead to sin and desires that lead to death. So, so, so how can we pass the test? How can we um, get through the, the temptations that will come to us on, on our journey in life? How can we persevere and, and obtain the crown of life promised by God? to those who love him. Well, if it was left to us, we couldn't do it. We'd fail dismally, but, but God, the good and the generous God has not left us dead in our sin, but has chosen to give us spiritual life. And that gift is made possible through the word of truth. That's what it said here. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now, what is the word of truth? That's James's shorthand for the gospel. Let me fill it out for you in Ephesians 1, 13, 14 from Paul. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
When you believe, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the gift of salvation, it demonstrates with unmistakable clarity the goodness and generosity of God. And it's just the first installment. Wait until you and we See the fullness of all that God has prepared for those who love him. We've sort of been singing about it this morning. We'll give him a thousand hallelujahs in this earth, I tell you, it will be a thousand upon thousand. Wow, the greatness. It's this new birth which makes possible the gift of the Holy Spirit, his presence, his, his power in our lives. He enables us to love God and to resist the darkness. Stand firm in the temptations, to keep trusting in God, to not to let go of God. Now, if God is the one who has made available so something, something, something so, so wonderful and, and good as, as new birth, and remember, at such a cost, Jesus' very life. And folks, hear this, those online. It would be so wrong to accuse God of plotting evil for you or for our world, of enticing us to sin, of ever neglecting us in the trials and the disappointments and the sorrows of this life. It just can't be. It can't be. It can't be. The goodness of God is perfect. It never changes. He is good all the time. And he's willing to help us this very morning. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Everyone. So are you ready to come to me now? Are you? This good God who's near, who's, who's been so present with us this morning. You know, he delights when we call on his name. Did you know that? He delights in that. And he wants you to experience his goodness. Hear that, everyone. He wants you to experience his goodness. So, you ready? Come, let's pray. Let's pray together. Wow. Loving Father, for any here this morning, all those that are online, who have been buffeted in a difficult place, maybe for a long season, well, Lord, grant them now renewed confidence and trust in you. Strengthen them through your word this morning, I would pray. Help them to resist every thought from the darkness that you are not good. And Lord, that you will come by the power of your Holy Spirit and strengthen them to keep persevering in the spiritual battle. If that's where you are this morning in, in, a, in a particular situation that, that you're enduring, well, will you affirm your trust in Jesus' sake? Jesus, I trust in you. Good God, I'm staying close to you. I don't want to drift away from you. Keep me close. You pray that. And Lord, we pray that prayer for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine this morning too as well. Oh God, keep them close, we pray. Trusting in you. Even in the midst, Lord, of all the sufferings and the unknownness of that situation, just fill them with courage and holy boldness, we would pray, mighty one. 
Loving Father, we pray now for those here this morning and those online who know that they have distanced themselves from you. They've been drawn away from your word and, and, and from prayer and from your people. Wrong, wrong choices have been made and, and sin is doing its deadening work in their lives. Oh God, oh God. We cry out this morning, we cry out, Lord, because we know how full of mercy and kindness and, and forgiveness is in your heart, Lord. You're faithful and good and you're able to cleanse everyone who calls on your name. Let hearts be healed, Lord, this very day. I pray that in Jesus' Name. If you've been away, come near again. Don't stay away any longer. Come near to God's heart. If you need to ask the Lord's forgiveness, then you cry out right now. Cry out now, ask. To be made clean. He's ready to make you clean in the precious blood of Jesus, to renew your life in Christ. Fresh measures of His goodness and His kindness to flow in and through your life. You pray that if that's where you are this morning. And now Lord, we praise You for You are sovereign over every person and every power, every nation, every ruler. We thank you that through your son, sin and death has been defeated, their greatest enemies. Victory won in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you that you are with us through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for the mighty things that you have prepared for those who love you. We affirm our faith and trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, are you ready to sing about how good he is? Pastor John, I just chose a beautiful set of songs to, to sing. We could sing them all again, actually. He's so good. There's one we want to sing. I pray you'll affirm your trust in him. And as we, as we, as we sing that song, I just want to provide an opportunity. This might just be for, for some this morning. And you need wisdom about a particular situation in your life at this very moment of time. You, you, it's, it's a wisdom thing that you need. Well, I just want to invite you as, you as we sing this song, just to come down the front and let a pastor pray with you. It's an expression of faith that you are looking to your good Father to, to help you, to just to know what you should do. Be it in a business situation, be it in a family situation, whatever that might be, that you just need the help and the wisdom of God. He will give it to you. That's the authority of His Word and the promise of His Word today. If you come with a humble heart, He'll grant that. Just invite you to do as we sing this song. And finally, just to help us to lead us in to our worship and praise about His goodness. On, on Monday, I, I received an email. Um, it was concerning a man who'd been a big blessing in this church for the first 10 years when this church was being formed. A man who reminded um, us so often about how great Christ is. And a man who in the toughest of circumstances always gave honour and glory to Jesus. And... Um, Annette and Paul and Simon Rattray on Bruce Rattray's 20th anniversary. Many, many of you might even know Bo, Mo Bruce because he's been with Jesus for 20 years. Um, this is what they wrote, but it was a privilege to have had a husband and a father who was so Christ-like in his relationships. Even when the cancer in his bones began to cause excruciating pain. See, here's the trial. His buoyant faith and joyful spirit, they were not dampened. This was evident to all who visited us in those last months because um, um, Bruce's quirky sense of humour, it, it, was, it was legendary. 
And we can't think of him without the reminders of the laughter he caused. Imagine writing this as a man's in that situation. He even joked with the hospital staff on the day before he died. You know why? Because he was in Jesus and had nothing to fear. He was waiting the, the promised crown. Wow. They finished with this. Bruce left a legacy of vision, love, faith and prayer. We acknowledge that it was all of God. His grace in the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in a totally surrendered life to our wonderful God and Saviour, we return all the glory and honour and praise. Well, come, don't we want to do that this morning? Come on, let's stand, sing a song of worship this morning. Say how good our God is. Let Him minister to our spirits right now in Jesus' Name. Thanks, team. Thanks, Jerome.
Peter was sharing this morning, the word that came to my mind was Psalm 34, 8, which says this is the invitation this morning. Those are online, those who are here with us, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. That's the invitation for each and every one of us this morning. Lord, thank You for Your Word to us. Thank You for Your presence being powerful here this morning, just to worship together. And so Lord, bless each one, Lord. Thank You for this incredible invitation for us to come, to taste, to see, to know Your goodness in our lives, to take refuge in You, Lord. And so we pray this now. And Lord, we wanna pray again for our world at this time, for the situation in Ukraine. We pray for our own community and city, Lord, with the floods, our state, Lord, that You'll just help bless those who are being affected at the moment, Lord. Continue just to help us through this time, we pray. But Lord, we look to You. We thank You for Your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated if you'd like prayer in some way. A prayer team will be down the front. They would love to pray for you. If you're online, you can connect by emailing through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. We'd love to pray for you as well. God bless you. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Thanks so much.